Thanks, Brian. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? And lo and behold, we will read now what Brian sang for us with a little less rhythm. Nonetheless, this is God's Word. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Solomon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azer, Azer, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of uh, Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Madden, and Madden, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation uh, from the deportation to Babylon, the Christ to the Christ, fourteen generations. This is God's word. You may be seated. So, if you have your Bible this morning, you can go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter one. But I will go ahead and say on the front end, this will be a little different sermon. Uh, we'll kind of be jumping all over the place, but uh, we will kind of start in Matthew. So you can go ahead and open. Matthew chapter 1. So as you guys are all aware, today is the start of Advent, and that means that we are not having kidlins, and so all the kids are with us. So I will just take uh, any form of expression of the kids as an amen on my part, um, and I will do my best not to preach longer than an hour, so we should be good to go. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, no, seriously, uh, we are so excited for this series, excited to have the kids in here with us. Uh, our series is called The Family Tree, and it is, I think, um, just so nice to look out and see kids you worshiping with us. Uh, I don't know how your Thanksgiving went. I hope it went well, uh, but Thanksgiving is kind of the start of the mad dash to the end of the year, the start of the holiday season. And so with that brings a time of decorating uh, to bring in that new season. And so as we think about the holidays and we think about decorating, we've got some important questions to ask. First and foremost, which of you in this room are 
let's skip Thanksgiving and go ahead and set up for Christmas before Thanksgiving. Yeah, we've got a lot of you in the room, and I don't know what's up with that. But nevertheless, that is one way to celebrate uh, and decorate. And you have the rest of you who decide, no, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving, and we're going to wait to sell, uh, decorate for Christmas after Thanksgiving. Some of you, when you decorate your homes for Christmas, you, uh, you go out and you buy these big inflatables that you put in your yard, and you signal to all of your neighbors your Christmas joy. Some of you, you opt for something maybe a little more subtle, maybe just some icicle lights or some of those deer that you put out in the yard, that metal that have lights go around them. Whatever it is, uh, you can think your family kind of has your tradition, your style of decorating. When I was growing up, my family loved decorating for Christmas. And our tradition was the guys would decorate outside and the girls would decorate inside. And as you can imagine, that's exactly what our house looked like. The guys did outside and the girls did inside. Inside was nice and generally neat and pretty. Guys, it was a little different. We had a 14-foot inflatable nutcracker that we blew up every year. We had an inflatable little village uh, that people had to walk under to get into our house. We had an inflatable Frosty the Snowman. It was go big or go home outside at my house growing up. Again, I don't know how your family did it, uh, but nonetheless, you have traditions. And uh, one thing uh, that regardless of what your tradition is, either inside, outside, before Christmas, after Christmas, white lights, colored lights, we probably all share one thing in common, and that is we all get a tree. Now, the tree brings a whole another set of questions. Is it a real tree or is it a fake tree? And again, what are you doing on the tree? Are you doing white lights, colored lights? What kind of ornaments are you putting on the tree? The tree brings another set of questions, but regardless of what our traditions of decorating are, we probably all have a tree. And it's that tree that we put presents under and uh, when it comes time for Christmas Day, we maybe read the, the birth of Jesus sitting close to that tree. And so this year we want to look at a different kind of tree. We wanted to look at the family tree of Jesus. Now, you may, as Brian sang and I read, have recognized some of the names in the genealogy of Jesus. And you'll find that Jesus' family tree is quite messy. I don't know what your family tree looks like, but if I had to venture a guess, I'd say it's probably messy too. Sin runs throughout Jesus' family tree. And yet just as sin runs throughout Jesus' family tree, so too does God's grace and His faithfulness. And so it's our hope this Advent to study the lives of Abraham, Rahab, Ruth, and David. And in doing so, I hope that we will be better prepared for celebrating the birth of Christ. And so this week, we will focus on Abraham. And we uh, will hopefully, uh, by the end, uh, have a better appreciation of, of how Abraham helps us prepare for Christmas. And you may have noticed in verse 1 of Matthew, that 
the genealogy, you, you may have noticed some names, you may not have noticed some names. Maybe you just totally got lost, or maybe you were trying to figure out why did Brian pronounce some names one way and I pronounce it a different way, and you just, we just got lost. That's okay. Matthew gives us some hooks to kind of hold on through this wild genealogy. In verse 1, we see Jesus Christ, and we see David, and then we see Abraham. And so kind of right away, Matthew's given us kind of the big picture of where he's going in this genealogy. He's ultimately going to focus his gospel on Jesus Christ. But what he's helping us see is that Jesus didn't just come from nowhere, but rather there was this long runway leading up to Jesus. And so we want to figure out this morning why Matthew goes to Abraham. Why does he start with Abraham and say not Adam or Noah but why Abraham? And so in order to answer that question, we have to do a little bit of digging, which is probably good because if you're like me, maybe you ate too much for Thanksgiving, you need a little exercise. So we're going to get a little mental exercise this morning, hopefully keep us moving, and we'll come back to Matthew's genealogy at the end to look at and see why is it that Matthew starts with Abraham. But before we do that, let me pray and ask for God to help us. Father, we thank you so much for the joy that it is to be together as your body this morning. Uh, Father, as Randy said, we uh, lift up those who are within our body that are unable to be here due to sickness or traveling. Uh, Father, but we thank you for the joy it is to be here. Lord, the joy it is to study your word. Lord, and the joy it is to celebrate your grace in sending Jesus to earth. Father, I pray that you would allow this time to be helpful to us, uh, Lord, and honoring to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the first things that we need to see in the life of Abraham is the God's call to Abraham. And so kids, if you're following with me, I'm going to give you two words for each point. Okay, so this is where you get to participate and hopefully Remember, so that way you can go home and talk with your parents more. So we're going to look at God's call to Abraham, which is really follow Jesus. So kids, that's what I want you to remember. Follow Jesus. So in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham comes on to the scene in the Scriptures. Genesis 12, 1-3 reads, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Genesis 12 God calls Abraham away from his country, away from his kindred or his culture, and away from his family. And where's he going? Well, God doesn't immediately say. He just says, go to the place that I will show you. God calls Abraham away from what Abraham knew to what Abraham didn't know with the simple call, follow me, follow Jesus. And so a little bit of backstory will help us understand why that is significant. So Abraham uh, lived with his father and his brothers 
And we find in Genesis 11 that Abraham's father is a man named Terah. And Abraham uh, and Terah took Abraham and his brothers. Uh, they were living in the land of Ur. He took them out of Ur and they were traveling to Canaan. And ultimately that is where God would lead Abraham. And so we see Abraham's father and, and Abraham, they kind of begin this journey, but Terah settles in Haran. And again, Haran, that was a bad place to stop. It was not the destination that he should have stopped. He should have kept going to Cana, but instead he settled in Haran. We know from other parts of the scripture, in Acts chapter 7, we'll see that at the new year, uh, that in Ur, God first appeared to Abraham. So God first appeared to Abraham in Ur, and they're moving with his family to Canaan, and his family camps out in Haran. And so uh, we might nickname Haran as Crossroads City. The reason for that is because Haran was a city that sat on the Euphrates, which is an ancient river, and rivers were important for trade and commerce, allowed you to quickly move goods from one city to another. And as well, it had other important cities kind of along that route. So Haran may have been the place that they stopped for economic reasons. Maybe Terah thought, hey, this is a good place to make a quick buck in this city. There's a lot of opportunity here that I could go and maybe work on the river, in the port, or work on the road, some sort of industry. Maybe I could make a good living for my family here. That's one possible reason that they camped out there. Another is that Haran was famous or better infamous for its uh, false religion. It was a famous city for its worship of the moon god. And that may have been the reason why Terah decided to camp down in Haran. It may not have been strictly money, it may have been worship. That is, false worship that kept him in Haran. In fact, it was probably some combination of the both. Nevertheless, Abraham's family legacy is found in Joshua 24. Thus the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, that is in Haran, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, Abraham's brother, and they served other gods. So Abraham's family legacy was that of serving other gods, not the true God, not the God who created the heavens and the earth, but worshiping likely the moon instead, worshiping God's creation rather than the creator. And yet God comes to Abraham in Genesis 12 and says, leave your country, your kindred, and your father's house and go to the place that I will show you. Again, God called Abraham out of what was familiar and into that which was foreign. And yet God is still issuing that same call to his people. Follow me. Follow Jesus. 
God still is calling people to have the family legacy of Abraham, a broken family, a family that isn't worshiping God. God is still calling people with that legacy to himself, saying, follow me. And yet God is still calling people that have a tremendous legacy. Kids, you're here this morning. Why? Did you walk here? No? How'd you get here? You you drove? Maybe mom and dad drove, right? What a blessing you guys have. Your parents love you enough to drive you to church. That is a tremendous legacy that you have as kids. And yet God's call is still the same. Follow Jesus. Your parents are here because that's what they've decided to do. They've decided to follow Jesus. God called and and they responded in faith. And you too must follow Jesus. We can't excuse following Jesus saying, well, I had a bad family. Or, well, I've got a great family and so that's probably why I'm okay. No, we must follow Jesus. In Matthew Chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So God's call to Abraham first was to follow him. And like Abraham, Jesus calls us to follow him. And God didn't immediately make clear to Abraham where that call would lead him, what all that call would cost him. And yet that was the initial call, follow me. And so it is true with us. Jesus doesn't reveal all the twists and turns that we may have to walk through, all the trials and tribulations, but he does say, follow Jesus. And yet, while the road is not always clear, we can trust God. And so this is the second thing that we see in Abraham's life. We see God's promise to Abraham. So the first thing we saw was God's call to Abraham. Now we see God's promise to Abraham. And so kids, the first point was follow Jesus. The second one is trust Jesus. Follow Jesus, trust Jesus. In Genesis 15, we read... And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought, and God brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So in summary, God made a promise to Abraham. And in that promise, God promised Abraham land, an offspring, and a blessing. In Genesis 15, we see that God promises Abraham an offspring. And and through that offspring, Abraham's descendants would be more numerous than the stars of heaven. This uh, week we were with Joni's family at Thanksgiving and one of their traditions is to wake up really early in the middle of the night and they have a fire and it's a massive fire and they end up cooking the turkey from the coals of this big fire. It's an incredible tradition. 
But one of the things is you have to wake up early in the morning and start the fire. And that early in the morning, the sky is crystal clear. You can see all the stars from fair play that night. And God told Abraham, go up, look at the sky, look at all the stars. Your descendants will be more numerous than these. That's God's promise to Abraham. And yet, if you're familiar with the story, you know that in order for God to fulfill that promise, Abraham and his wife were childless at that point. So God said, hey, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars. And Abraham's thinking, okay, well, we don't have any kids, so how does that work, God? And God said, trust me. And so after a while, Abraham and his wife, they got impatient on God. Started thinking, I'm old. My wife, she's old too. God, how's this going to work? They took matters into their own hands. And so Abraham and Hagar, they had a child. That child's name was Ishmael. So we see God's promise to Abraham and we see Abraham initially responding with faith, initially responding with trust, and then after a while getting impatient. And so once again in Genesis 17, God comes to Abraham. And He says in Genesis 17, 5-7, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Again, a lot of what God said in Genesis 15, He says again in Genesis 17. And so Abraham asked God, okay, God, Will it be then through Ishmael that your promises, your blessing will come to me? And in Genesis 17, 19, God says, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then in Genesis 21, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his own age in his old age at the time of which God had spoken of him Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born Sarah his wife was 90 when God fulfilled his promises If you do the math from Genesis 12 when God first called Abraham he was 75 and by the time Isaac is born Abraham is 100 Abraham waited on God to deliver on his promises for 25 years. And yet ultimately, Abraham did trust God. And this is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 4 that in hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which, is, which was as good as dead 
since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. I'd made a promise and Abraham believed God. He trusted God. This is faith. It is trusting that God is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do. It's not a a leap off the cliff and hoping that maybe possibly something's there. It is a trust that God will save. So Abraham helps us see on the first, to follow Jesus and then to trust Jesus. And finally, God helps us, uh, in Abraham we see, to treasure Jesus. Because you see, yes, Isaac was born, but the ultimate fulfillment of what God promised Abraham came much later. And this is where we go back to Matthew's Gospel. Again, Matthew is uh, likely writing to Jews, and the Jews would have been familiar with this genealogy. And so he helps us go back to Abraham. Because in one more passage in Genesis, Genesis 18, For I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So even back in the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to give you a child and your job is to instruct that child in the way of the Lord so they may do righteousness and justice and that it will be as that child obeys God that God will bring about those blessings. And again, we've already seen Abraham, his faith faltered. So it's not Abraham. And if you know the rest of the story, it's no one after Abraham except the man, Jesus Christ. The last clue to help us this morning comes from the Apostle Paul in Galatians. He writes in Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So what Paul says in Galatians is what Matthew is trying to do at the beginning of his gospel. Going all the way back to Abraham saying, you remember the promises of God? You remember how God said that it would be through a son of Abraham that would keep the way of the Lord and then bring about those blessings? Well, that man is Jesus. Matthew says, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about his family. But more importantly, let me tell you about Jesus. Matthew, at the very beginning, is doing what Jesus asks Peter later in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ, son of the living God. That's what Matthew's doing here in the beginning. 
So Abraham helps us see that Jesus is the Christ. Do you see how wonderful our God is? What He promised long ago, step by step by step by step, He brought it to fulfillment. I pray this season you will treasure God. You will look and you will see His faithfulness. Again, I grew up in a family of six. Like I said, the tradition in our household was guys decorated outside, girls decorated inside. But one thing that we all did as a family together is we put the ornaments on the tree. And this, uh, this week, when we were up there for Thanksgiving, that's what we decided to do. We decided to decorate their tree. So we were putting ornaments on it, and it was a trip down memory lane. Because all the ornaments now are basically, they're all sentimental. They all have some meaning. So you look at the ornament and you, you figure out, hey, what's this ornament kind of snapshotting here? What's the memory it's capturing here? And each ornament is one piece that helped make the tree beautiful. And Abraham is, is one piece of the genealogy that helps us see all of what God had been doing to bring Jesus into the world. And again, Abraham's circumstances were different than ours. But he followed Jesus. He trusted Jesus. And he treasured Jesus. I pray that we would do the same. Because as Paul ends Romans chapter 4, he says, the words, it was counted to him, that was counted to Abraham as righteousness, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So our hope this morning, it's not in our circumstances. It's not in our family. Although we can be thankful to God for those. Our hope is in God. So this morning as we get ready to transition to communion, we're reminded that our hope is secure. That despite what we can see around us, God will be faithful to His promises, to His people, and to His purposes. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, we'll just ask that you uh, remain seated and you consider uh, the things that we've talked about. You consider Jesus. If you want to know more about having a relationship with Him, following Him, talk to me, talk to a parent, uh, your parent. And uh, if you are a believer this morning, then the table's open for you. Uh, I'll pray, and then we can go out and uh, take communion as we normally do. Father, we thank You so much for Your faithfulness, God. We thank You for... Your word. We thank you for Matthew's genealogy. Father, we thank you for how you have been faithful to your promises. Lord, may you give us the faith to continue hoping in your promises. Lord, may you give us the faith to continue hoping in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.